Hello, and welcome to the River Audio Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We believe God has something unique to say to you, and our hope is that you feel His love stronger today than ever before. Enjoy the message. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1. By the way, this is just after the cross. This is just after. This is three days later. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Amen. (laughs) I'll read it again. Fear not ye. For I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified, but he is not here. For he's risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord did lay. Pray with me. Father, thank you for today. And please help me. I know more than anybody else that I'm completely dependent on you that anything would happen. I can't do anything without you. I am aware of the fact that I have no ability to stand and do what I do. And I am asking you again to fill me again with your Holy Spirit and to take over and do that which you are so faithful to do that I cannot do. Help me to yield myself to you, an empty vessel, that we would hear your heart today. Take over, and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In order to understand what we are here for today, in order to understand really all of our, our faith, but specifically this that we reflect on at Easter, we have to go back almost 4,000 years from today. You know that Jesus died about 2,000 years ago, but we have to go back a lot further than that to understand the point and to understand what all of this 
is about. And while we don't have time today, it is also important that Christians know, and sadly most of us don't know this, that the Bible is one story, one continuous story about one family, God's family, the Jewish people. That's what the whole book is about. And growing up, I never, I never understood or, or knew that. I thought it was a bunch of stories about a lot of different people that experienced God, and we learned all these different things. And not until just a few years ago, really, did I start to understand the collective narrative about what happened to God's people and how that is restored and what that has to do with me, uh, a white guy in the United States. But the Bible is one story about one family. And so I encourage you to seek that out. So today we go back about 4,000 years. And I would like to go back further, but we're just going to jump in. Recently, we've been talking here about Joseph and what happened to Joseph and how Joseph ended up ruling in Egypt alongside of Pharaoh and how Pharaoh blessed Joseph, uh, the grandson of Israel and his family, and how things were going. But after that, Pharaoh dies, and another Pharaoh comes into power that did not know Joseph. And all he observes is how the children of Israel are living in Egypt and multiplying and becoming greater than the Egyptians. And he gets scared. And he says, these Israelites might become greater than us and try to take over. He says, so we need to enslave them. We need to get them in the mentality of a slave, that we are ruling over them, and that we use their magnitude to increase Egypt. And so that's what happened. Pharaoh enslaved the children of Israel. A multitude, multitudes and multitudes of people. And God's children were enslaved for almost 400 years in Egypt. And the Pharaoh then, at that time, declares... We're going to have all of the Israelite babies, all of the male babies killed because we don't want them to increase. He says, if a girl is born, the girl can live. But if it is a baby boy, the baby boy must die. And so he instructed the midwives that were helping, if a baby is born, if a, male, if a male child is born, to kill that baby. But the Hebrew midwives feared the Lord more than they feared man. 
They did not care what government said. They did not care what an earthly king said. So they didn't do it. They said, no, we're not going to kill these. We're not going to kill these babies. And they wouldn't kill the babies. So a particular baby is born. And the mother fears for the baby's life, knows that if she keeps the baby with her, that the Egyptians will find the baby and kill her baby boy. So she takes a, a basket and she seals the basket with pitch, with tar, and she wraps the baby and she puts the baby in the basket and she puts him in the river. Now, that would be scary enough. There are crocodiles in the river. There's all kinds of dangers in the river. And she gets off where she can watch. And the Bible's not real specific about how far, if it drifted a little or what happened. But before too long, the daughter of Pharaoh and her assistants come down to the river's edge. And they hear a baby crying. And she goes and says, here's this little baby. And she retrieves him. She says, this is one of the Hebrew children. And Pharaoh's daughter decides to spare this baby and to raise this baby. But the baby needs to be nursed. And she says, find one of the Hebrew women that's nursing to take this baby and to nurse this baby. And who else do they find but the baby's own mother? The hand of God throughout this is incredible. So the baby's mother nurses the baby, and when the baby is weaned, the baby is now raised in Pharaoh's palace as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And she names him Moses, which literally means drawn from the water. Drawn from the water. So Moses is raised here in this setting, and just as Moses is grown, he sees something happen. He sees the taskmasters, the Egyptian taskmasters, mistreating the Israelites. And he sees a taskmaster strike one of these Hebrews. Moses is angry inside. And so he looks to see if there's anybody around, and he sees no one. And he kills the taskmaster. A few days later, there's a little squirmish between a couple of Hebrews, and Moses is talking to them about it. And they said, what do you have to do with this? Are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? And Moses knows that he was seen. And he knew any time the word would get to Pharaoh. Now, we're going to have to skip a lot of important stuff for the sake of time today. <laughs> so I really encourage you to go back and read the whole story. But Moses flees and goes and lives in another place. 
And through a series of events, he ends up getting married, and he has children and flocks, and he's living his life there. And that's when the Lord shows up in a burning bush and tells Moses that it is time for him to go back to Egypt and to set his people free. And I wish that we did have time because there's so much that we could talk about along the way. But we're going to give you the short version. Moses is instructed to go back His brother Aaron is going to do the speaking. Moses complained to God that he could not speak, and God didn't really like that, but we don't have time. And he said, fine, he said, Aaron will talk. I'll give you the word, and you give the word to Aaron, and Aaron will give the word to Pharaoh. Go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. He said, now when you do this, Pharaoh is not going to say, oh, okay. He said, Pharaoh is going to try to keep them. He said, but I'm going to perform mighty wonders. He said, and ultimately, Pharaoh is going to let my people go. So, anybody ever seen Charlton Heston Come on, as Moses. (laughs) So a lot of what I have to skip, just go back and play that in your mind and you'll remember, okay? So Moses goes back and declares to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says no. And God begins to send the plagues. How many know what I'm talking about at least when I say the plagues? You at least know that much about the story. God begins to send plagues on Egypt, on the Egyptian people, to force Pharaoh's hand that ultimately he will let the people go. Now, I did want to touch on this because I think it's so incredible and so interesting, and, and I realize that many people might not be familiar with this, and you, you would like to know this. The plagues were not random, God did not simply say, well, what can I do to mess with them? How about, uh, how about these 10 things? I'll do these. Egypt was a place that worshipped so many gods, false gods, little g. Come on. God's the big G, the OG. Come on. And Egypt worshipped all of these false gods. But there were 10, there were 10 that were really premier in Egyptian worship. Each one of the plagues specifically targeted each of their 10 favorite gods. Our God, Big G, intentionally sent plagues that addressed the nature of their worship. Now, you're filling the blanks, Lala. We're going to go, and we're not going to take a lot of time, but we're going to tell the plagues, and then we're going to tell which God that they addressed, okay? 
So the first plague is when Moses stretched out the rod over the waters and all of the waters of the Nile and all the water everywhere. Water in jugs and water in cups. And I think that we saw this on the video at the Seder meal the other night. Turned into blood and killed all the life in it. You know, fish can't live in blood. So as the water became blood, everything began to die. You can't imagine the smell that would have existed throughout this. And so the first plague is that God, through Moses, turned all of the water of Egypt into blood. There was nothing to drink. Everything that depended on the water began to die. Everything that lived in the water began to die. One of the main gods that they worshipped was Hapi, the god of the Nile. It was the god of the Nile. So the very first, God says, I think I'll address that one first. You see, there are a lot of things in this world that people worship, but there is none like the Lord. There is none above and there is none beside. He is the only wise God. He is the almighty God. So God first addressed, he said, oh, you want to worship the Nile? I snap my fingers and turn that thing into blood. That's how powerful your, your Nile God is. So I'm bigger and badder than that one. Number two, by the way, we'll also say that that first one was an illustration of how God uses blood to conquer that which is against his children. And water into blood is natural into spiritual. You know, when we are born again, we are, uh, the Bible says you, you, you can't go to heaven just because you've been born, born of the water. You have to be born of the spirit. Born of the water, by the way, is not water baptism. Born of the water is when the water broke. It's natural birth. So water to blood is natural to spirit. And God conquers through blood. The second plague, frogs filling the land and the houses and the beds and the kitchens and the closets and the everything. Frogs, frogs. Frogs, you couldn't move without touching frogs. You roll over and you just rolled over on frogs, and you take a step and you frogs just come up between your toes. Not whole frogs, just pieces of frogs. And frogs pop in frog eyes, and it was awful. Frogs, frogs. Everywhere, frogs. And to tell you what kind of sense Pharaoh had, he was posed with the question, when do you want these frogs to leave? And he said, tomorrow. I would have only had to have stepped through one squishy frog. Only one frog would have had to have died under my big toe. Am I painting the picture? And I wouldn't have said tomorrow. So God sends frogs 
It's interesting because one of the main gods that they worshiped was Haket, who was depicted with the head of a frog, was a god of fertility and water renewal. This is who they prayed to for babies, for fertility, was this frog god. And God Almighty says, oh, you like frogs? You like frogs so much you worship them? Here, I've got frogs. Here's frogs for you. And you get a frog, and you get a frog, you get a frog, and you get a frog. So God addressed Haket by plaguing them with frog. Everything they wanted to worship, he used it against them. You want to worship this? Fine, have a whole bunch of it. Can I tell you, God's still doing the same thing today. You want to put something before God? God says, oh, you want that? Here you go. You can have it. You see, a lot of us seem to think that God is punishing us, but really God just gives us whatever we ask for. A lot of what we call punishment is really God just saying, if that's the way you want it, I'll give you over to your way. I'll give you over to your own way and to your own devices. The third thing that happened is that all of the dust of the land became lice. Anybody ever have to deal with lice? How about every grain of dirt in your life becomes lice? They worshiped Geb, the god of earth. So they had a god over water, and they got a god over this, and they got a god over literal earth, dirt. And he says, oh, you want to worship the dust? Here you go. I'll bring it to life for you. It's also interesting to note because the different things that Moses did, the court magicians would try to reproduce. And many of the things they could reproduce but, uh, of course, most of you know I'm a professional stage magician. It's interesting because in some of the books in my library, it shows the, the gimmickry and the trickery on how, like historical magic trick stuff, on how they reproduce these acts without using real power. But it's interesting. There's a, uh, there's a verse, Exodus 8 and 18. Uh, and the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice upon man and lice upon beast. It's funny because this is the only one where life was produced instead of something that already existed being manipulated. You see, the enemy can manipulate stuff, but he can't make anything. Right. Only God can create only God can create. And so anytime the devil tries to use stuff in your life, say, devil, you can't use that. That's God's stuff. That's God's stuff. You know, I, I think it's funny. People get all up in arms. A lot of, uh, a, a lot of legalistic people, and not just legalistic, some are honest-seeking, around Easter time and around Christmas, and they say, well, you know what that Easter egg really means. Well, you know what that, you know what that Christmas tree means and this and that. And I had a lady a few months ago, she was trying to school me on why we should have nothing to do with Christmas in any way. And, uh, and I started teaching on this stuff years ago about pagan roots and, and all these kind of things. And I hate to burst your bubble. Easter itself is not a Christian holiday. Christmas itself is not a, a Christian holiday. We don't have time for that this morning. But anyway, 
she was trying to tell me. She said, oh, you know what, you know what Christmas trees are? Uh, these evergreen trees mean this and that. And I said, you know, I said, I, I've, I've seen it used that way. I said, but I said, if you'll go back even, she gave me some dates of how these things were used. And I said, you know, if you'll go back even further than that, I said, do you know who originally owned those evergreen trees? She said, who? I said, God. I said, those were his trees before they were, listen, the devil didn't make eggs. God made eggs, and God made dye in roots. And so at some point, the devil tried to borrow the egg and color it with dye. But, you know, the devil, give that egg back. It doesn't belong to you. That's not your grass, devil. You didn't create basket weaving. Come on. You didn't make cocoa beans. You don't own no chocolate. I saw somebody the other day. He said, that's why I will never eat a chocolate bunny. He said, because it's dedicated to this. I said, bring me your chocolate bunny. It is chocolate. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, and you remember throughout the scripture when uh, God gave what the, the stuff had been dedicated to idols and then or, or on the Sabbath, you know, David wheat, the showbread in the house. It, people have put all their stock in days and times and seasons. I just don't have that much faith in the devil. But you know, this means witchcraft. and uh, You got too much faith in witches. You got too much faith in the occult. You got too much faith in that. Bring me your candy corn. Bring me... Bring me your Reese's eggs. Bring me your peeps. Lay them at the Lord's table. <laughs> <laughs> I will feast. <laughs> anyway, people are, people are making such issues out of non-issues that they're missing the issue, and that's not when Jesus got up. I don't care when he got up. He got up. Jesus wasn't born in December, but he was born. So while the whole world talking about he's born, I'm going to say, yep, he was born. The whole world talking about he died. The whole world talking about he got up is looking to that now use it as a bridge i'm looking to build bridges not burn bridges hunt your easter eggs and then get to church and i'm gonna tell you about jesus oh my god help me people worried a lot about a lot of stuff that god's not worried about and i, I can i can tell you a verse that would help all of it to the pure at heart all things are pure Halloween time. Well, I'm meddling now. I'm going to meddle, though. I'm not even going to look at my wife telling me to wrap it up. This is my opportunity, and I got the mic. I'm going to talk about Halloween on Easter. You <laughs> Don't you get in on this. You got kids. You got kids on October 31st. They never heard anything about any devil, this, that, the other, witchcraft. They just wanted to dress up with their friends and eat sugar. And now you're going to add some evil to it for them to worry about. Doesn't sounds like being a slave to me. It doesn't make any sense. I am taking the devil's stuff. You know that belongs to the devil. Not anymore. Not anymore. That's my Ghostbusters costume. <laughs> Not anymore. 
That's my wax vampire teeth. Christians freaking out over a defeated foe. Mm. Who wants to be part of that? You're not supposed to do anything. Yeah, we're having fun over here. Come over here and be just like us. Nobody wants to join your stanky club. I'm having a good time. Happy Easter. You came to the right church on this Easter Sunday. (laughs) All right, number four. Moving right along. The fourth plague, flies. Flies. You ever had one fly bothering you? What if you had a whole bunch of flies? What if you had millions of flies bothering you? They worshiped a god whose head was a fly. They had the head of a fly. They, you know, uh, paintings of this thing, statues of this thing. Capri was this. It was a god of creation. It was the god that moved the sun. It was a god of rebirth. And so God Almighty, Jehovah God, said, fine, you want to worship flies? Here you go, flies. Number five, killing all the livestock. Killing all the livestock, all of their goats and cows and sheep and everything died. Now listen, everything's dependent on that. That is your food, but it's also your transportation. It is also your plow It's everything. You kill the livestock, you kill the whole economy, and people are starving. People are starving. Their god, Hathor, was a goddess of love and protection with the head of a cow. The head of it. She was a real heifer. Come on. And they worshipped. They worshipped this cow, and God said, fine, fine. I'll show you how much power Hathor has. Uh, Just with the snap of my fingers, I'll wipe out all the livestock in your land. He is showing that he is the only God, the one true God. Number six, boils. Boils. You read about they sprinkled handfuls of ash in the air. All the people broke out in boils. Their god, Isis, we know that name, don't we? People still worshiping Isis, was the goddess of medicine. It was medicine and ointment and treatment for different, uh, different afflictions of the body. The goddess of medicine and peace. So here, pray to Isis now. While their body broke out in boils... And this is the kind of thing that they would call out to Isis for, but it did no good. Number seven, hail mixed with fire. Hail, fire and ice. Hail mixed with fire and thunder. And it came through and destroyed the the crops What was not beaten down was burned down, and great thundering out of the sky the entire time. Their god, Seth, was in charge of storms and thunder. 
And God showed them who was actually in charge of storms and thunder. Number eight, locusts. Do you all remember? Maybe 10 years ago. Rose has a video somewhere because I had to mow the lawn. And apparently, the motor of the craftsman riding lawnmower sounded like to the locusts, the great locusts, their leader. Because when I fired that thing up, here they came. And I was attacked by storms and clouds of locusts the whole time that I mowed the lawn. I put that thing in a gear that I didn't even know it had. And I was mowing the lawn as fast as I possibly could. I was putting it up on two wheels every time I got to a corner and swatting and fighting the whole time. And at one point, I look up, and Rose has a phone. She's inside in a window and doubled over. (laughs) She thought it was so great to video me being attacked by the plagues of Moses. This God's name is Nut. Come on. <laughs> For real. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Audrey, you have any idea? It's close enough. Was the goddess of the sky. Was the goddess of the sky. And locusts came throughout the sky, and God had dominion and control of the sky, and they covered every house. Number nine, and he keeps getting, you see, he's working from the ground up. He's working at what strikes more and more closer and closer to their heart. He's zeroing in with every plague on every greater God. And so we go from the God of the sky, finally, the ninth plague, three days of darkness. (laughs) they did that they did (laughs) they really did I guess yeah I see the culprit there's there's nut herself up there number nine was three days of darkness the god Ra if you've studied Egypt at all you hear that a lot And Ra was their god of the sun, literally the sun itself. They depended on Ra to rise every day on the horizon and to set every night. They regarded this as one of the greatest of their gods. I mean, think about how dependent we are on the light of the sun that God has given us. Well, they regarded the sun as God itself. And God says, fine, worship Ra, out like a light. And the sun did not come up. Three days of darkness. And the point is that their faith in their gods should have been shattered. That this is not real, that this does not work. And finally, 
The tenth and final plague, the greatest plague, struck at the heart of the God they worshipped the most. And that is that their Pharaoh was considered God on earth. Their earthly leader, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, they worshiped as God and his lineage and his line. And the last plague was the death of every firstborn son, including the son of Pharaoh himself. The son of Pharaoh himself. And this happened by way of God sending the angel of death to move throughout all of the land of Egypt. Now remember, the Hebrew children even lived there. And that on this particular night, that the angel of death would move through every place and visit every home and would kill the firstborn son in every house. Exodus 12, 11 and 14. And please, I encourage you again, go back and read all of these chapters and get the whole picture. I'm hitting highlights, but we need this. And he explains a meal that they are going to eat on this particular night. And thus you shall eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Everybody say Passover. Passover. And now say it like this. Say, Passover. I think it's important sometimes that we put a dash between pass and over. We say it as the Passover. We've got to get it in our mind. He is talking about something passing over. It is so. It is the pass over. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood, they were supposed to kill a lamb. And go back and read the whole thing. They were supposed to kill a spotless, innocent lamb. And the blood will be a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood... I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by ordinance Forever. God says, here are my children. Enslaved by the God of this world, Pharaoh. And I'm going to set my children free. 
I am going to bring judgment on the world. I'm going to bring judgment on Egypt. I'm going to go through and kill the firstborn in every house. God tells them, now remember, your house is in this land. He said, so your house has to be marked that this death angel knows that you're not part of this. He said, and the way you do that is that you take the blood of the lamb. You strike it on the doorposts, the vertical and horizontal beams of the doorposts. You put the blood on them. And then when this death comes, when this judgment comes, this death will not cross the blood. And whoever is inside of the house will be safe. I will pass over anyone that's covered by the blood. He did not say, I'll pass over if you are behaving well in the house. He did not say, I will pass over if nobody says a cuss word in the house. He did not say, I will pass over if everybody's done everything right, said everything right, behaved right. No, there was one prerequisite. There was one requirement, not that the people were right, but that they had the right stuff on the outside of the door. He said, when I see the blood, doesn't matter who's inside of the house, doesn't matter their past, doesn't matter their mistakes, doesn't matter their failure, I pass over when I see the blood when I see the blood of the lamb I pass over after this Moses rounded up all of Israel and began to lead them out of Egypt out of the land of their slavery Across the Red Sea, where you know Pharaoh didn't want to let them go, went after them. But they crossed over on dry ground as the Red Sea was blown apart. And the water held up like walls on either side. My pastor said this is where the goggle-eye fish came from. He said there were fish near the walls, and when the water blew back and they saw the people going through on dry ground, the fish went. <laughs> and we still have those goggle-eyed fish today. That's what my pastor said. And they passed through on dry ground. And then the water came crashing down when Moses dropped his hand and dropped the rod and swallowed up Pharaoh and his army. And the children of God were safe on, their other, on the other side where they were supposed to go right into the promised land. But that's another story for another time. 40 years. But they were safe. They had passed through the Red Sea, away from the bondage of Egypt, over to the other side where they would be led 
by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, the Holy Spirit leading and guiding them through that cloud of moisture, through that fire. I'm preaching without preaching to our to Bible students if you're listening. And God told them, every year, observe this meal to remember the pass over. Always remember when I skip over wherever the blood is. Always remind your children, always remind the people that death passes over those that are covered by the blood. This is what Passover is about. We need to look not so much at Easter or really Ishtar, but look at Passover. So the other night we had our Seder meal. And everything on the plate was a reminder of the slavery of the bitterness, of the tears, of the lamb. And we remembered. We remembered where God's people had been, and we remembered how God delivered his people. My Orthodox Jewish friends they stop right here. They, yeah, as Paul Harvey would say, they stop right here. Dear friend of mine, Orthodox Jew, he's in his 80s. And last night I sent him pictures of our Seder meal. And I said to him, let me just pull it up here and see what I did say. I sent him pictures, me and my little keeper, which I kept it because it's a keeper. <laughs> this is the only reason Rose and I stay married, is because she thinks I'm funny. And I love that she thinks I'm funny. She is. Yeah, she's laughing at me. Yes. I, I simply said from our Seder at church, and then how do you, how do you say this, Audrey? Uh, C-H-A-G space S-A-M-E-A-C-H. Haksameach. That's what I said to him. I didn't have to pronounce it because it was tight. <laughs> and he's Jewish, so I knew he would know. I was hoping to impress him. And I said, Hag Sameach to you and Phyllis. And he said back, very interesting. <laughs> Which is why I sent it. Because his brain is spinning right now. Why did they have a Seder meal? He's wondering right now. To him, 
he doesn't understand why this Christian pastor is wearing this and observing this. Because in his mind, it has nothing to do with me. He thinks it all stopped there. Which, by the way, he didn't observe a Seder meal, so he can listen. <laughs> if, he, if he is that, he needs to, you know. So I sent that to him because in the, in the Jew's mind, it simply means that. They do not understand that the memorial of Passover is not only looking back, it is looking forward. Because everything that happened then in the natural was also a spiritual truth and a prophetic picture that the Son of God, <laughs> Yeshua the Messiah, would leave heaven and would come to earth and would deliver us from spiritual Egypt and the bondage of sin and that we too would cross over when the Passover lamb became reality. Everything we're doing now is about all of this. So we say, but wait, there's more. That memorial of Passover, that reminder of Israel's slavery and deliverance is personal. For what happened in the natural is a spiritual truth. You see, you and I are born into sin. Separated from God. Living in spiritual Egypt under the Pharaoh of this world, the prince of the power of the air. Romans 5 and 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So we have this first break from Adam to Moses, and this picture is painted, but now we live under death until now, until we place faith in Jesus. The only way that we get out of Egypt, the only way that we get out from under the rule of Pharaoh is for death to pass over us by applying the blood of the Passover lamb to our heart and to our life. The same way that the blood of those lambs was applied to the wooden beams of the door, now the blood of Jesus the lamb was applied to the wooden beams of the cross of Calvary. Revelation 13 and 8 tells us that Jesus is the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. All of this pointed forward to Jesus. The day before Jesus dies, the timing is no coincidence. Before he would go to the cross, he and his disciples are gathered together having a Seder meal to observe the memorial of the Passover lamb. 
They did not quite realize yet that the Passover lamb was sitting with them. And that everything on that plate pointed to him. He was celebrating Passover. And when he lifted up that matzos, and he said this, this had to sound so strange to them, to these Jewish men who had been observing Passover their whole lives, and now Jesus picks it up and says, this is my body. It would have sounded like blasphemy. He picks it up and says that striped, pierced bread And his body was about to be striped and pierced. And he holds it up and says, this is my body broken for you. And then he holds up that cup of redemption. You see, I can stand up here and pretend I really know some stuff. But I just learned this redemption cup two days ago. And he holds up that cup, the cup of redemption, which they knew symbolized the blood of lambs. And he says, this is my blood. This is my blood spilled out for you. He was declaring to them that after 1,500 years... This which was prophesied through these elements have come to pass. In this which two to three thousand years when Eve got pregnant and said, oh, I've gotten a man from the Lord. Adam and Eve fell into sin and then Eve got pregnant and she said, oh, the Savior's here. Actually, got a little bit of time still. And Jesus sitting there with them at Seder and says, it's me. I've come. I'm Messiah. I'm Savior. I'm the Son of God. The whole script, the whole scroll, it's me. It's all me. And it's time. In a few hours, I'm going to go and be broken. In a few hours, I'm going to go and be spilled out. And then the Son of God was hung up for our hang-ups. And on that cross, one beam pointing up to heaven and one beam pointing out to you and to me, and the Son of God became that one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus, declaring to all, to come unto me, all that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But this Passover lamb is different from every Passover lamb that had been sacrificed before. Because in the old covenant, 
The scripture says the sacrifices had to be made again and again, never making the comers there unto perfect. Because while their sins were covered, they were never taken away. And it never cleared the conscience. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 9, had those sacrifices been able to remove the conscience of sin, they would have no more need to have been made. But then the voice of the Lord says in that same chapter, Hebrews 9, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 11, that all of these things, all of these laws, all of these ceremonies, all of these feasts, all of these festivals were only shadows and foretaste of the real thing to come. When God would send his own son, that no more sacrifice would need to be made, and that when Jesus died on the cross as our lamb, that he did it once and for all. But there's another reason that this lamb is different. Never in history had a Passover lamb been slain, and three days later, got back up. But Jesus Christ, he hung on that cross, and he bled, and he died, and he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lababa saktini. He said, he cried out, and he said, it's finished, and he gave up the ghost. They took his body down off of the cross. They prepared him for burial. And they laid him in the tomb. The scripture said, if he ascended, which came later, what is it but that first he descended? into the lower parts of the earth and preach captivity to the captives. Now, don't get the idea that Jesus went to a lake of fire and burned. But Jesus went and held a three-day revival in the grave for all the saints of old that had passed before his blood had been shed. They had placed faith in the Savior that would come so they did not perish when they left their body. But they could not pass into heaven because they had not been washed in the blood. So they went to Abraham's bosom. We call it Abraham's bosom because it is the holding place, the bosom of those that had placed faith in the sacrifice, even as Abraham had. The Bible says that God had preached the gospel aforetime to Abraham. So they're here in this holding place. Daniel. And King David. And Ruth. And Adam. And Jesus' dad would have been there too, Joseph, because he died before Jesus did. You know, Jesus experienced the loss of what it's like to lose a parent. And Jesus goes there. And Rahab was there. And Noah was there. 
And Jonah was there. And Hosea was there. And Micah was there. And Joel was there. And Abraham himself was there. And Sarah was there. They were all there. And they were all waiting. Some of them for thousands of years waiting for this moment. If Carmen was here, he could say it a lot better. (laughs) And I cannot imagine what it would have been like to have been in this place for all of these years, without a doubt, rehashing the prophecies, rehashing the scriptures, and not knowing the times and the seasons that only the Father held. And I don't know what kind of a door was there on Abraham's bosom. I don't know how it worked. But I do know this. That moments after the Son of God cried, it's finished. Them waiting in the belly of the earth, that door cracked open. And I wonder if they thought, oh, I wonder who's going to come through today. But the light was brighter this time. And the door opened and the glory of God began to shine and fill the place like never before. And that long Galilean leg stepped through, pierced in the feet, and then two pierced hands came through. And they looked up. Abraham had seen him before because he came to visit and had dinner right before the angels wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah. I wonder if Moses might have said, is that who I think it is? Lord, if that's you, could you turn around? I've only ever seen your back. And Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the Jews, Messiah, the Lamb slain, walked into paradise with the thief that died next to him on the cross. And every eye had to look up and silence had to fall over the place. And I don't know what he said, but it had to be something like this. Hey, guys, the wait is over. I just paid the price and it's all done. I came to get you out of here. And three days later on the surface, there's an earthquake. And the stone was rolled away. And the Bible says that the prophets of old showed up on the earth and started walking the streets of Jerusalem before they went to heaven because the price had been paid. Sin had been forgiven. The law had been fulfilled. And Jesus Christ is Lord. He got up. Jesus Christ got up. The Passover was complete. No Passover lamb had ever gotten up. And this lamb didn't just die to forgive, but he got up again to live in you. Not just mercy, 
but grace. So here we are today. Here we are, Easter 2022. And all the world is living under Pharaoh. And death is moving. And if you don't believe death is at work, open your eyes and look around. People are existing full of death every day because they have not taken the blood and applied it over the door of their heart. Today, what will you do with this Easter Sunday? What will you do with the Passover lamb? The writer of Hebrews talks about what a tragedy it would be to reject this Jesus, to trample his blood underfoot, and to not put faith in the price that he has paid. My friend, I don't care what anybody in this world says. I don't care how irrelevant you think the Bible has become. I don't care how unmodern that our message might seem. The Bible is true. There's only one God. Jesus Christ is his son, and nobody's going to heaven without him. That blood is still fresh and can set you free. I don't know, preacher. I've got this sin, and I've been at it for a long time, and We think that one sin is somehow harder for God to whip than another. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge you. He said, you're already judged. He said, I didn't come to condemn you. He said, you're already condemned. You're already, you're already on your way to eternal death. He said, the law of Moses already condemns you. He said, I came to do what hasn't been done yet. I came to offer life. I don't care what your sin is. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Or you may think you're just a pretty swell guy. But the Bible says if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are on our way to eternal judgment. But you don't have to stay that way. Jesus wants you to be part of his forgiveness. And he wants to fill you and live through you. Singers, musicians, would you come? Would you stand with me this morning? No one talking, no one moving around. This is the moment. This is when we have the opportunity to decide what we will do with what we have heard. If you're here today, 
and you have never accepted Jesus as Lord. Can I tell you, he is Lord. In one way or the other, everybody's going to worship him. But not all are going to receive him. If you've never received his forgiveness, if you've never received his mercy, if you've never received his grace, do it today. From your heart and with your mouth, you simply say to him, I know that you are God alone, and I know that I am a sinner, but I know you love me. I believe, Lord Jesus, that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross in my place. And I believe that three days later you got up again. I'm offering you myself. Jesus, wash away my sin. By the way, this is not, God, I'm going to still do whatever I want, think like I want, live like I want, and I'll just add your name so that I can say I prayed this prayer. It's not that at all. It is, Jesus, I am completely wrong, and you are completely right, and I invite you to come in and wreck me. I invite you to come in and break my pride and break my addictions and break my lust and break my covetousness and destroy. I am inviting you to come in and change who I am. I don't have the power to turn from sin, but I'm willing. I'm asking you to come and do what I cannot do. I'm asking you to come in and bring me into agreement with you and with your word and live through me that I look like you. Forgive me, wash me, and change me. This is not you making a promise to God that you won't mess up. But this is you turning from what you've lived under and saying, I put myself under your rulership that you would come through me and do this. This is to become part of the family of God. We will still fail. We will still fall. We will still make mistakes. But he will hold us, and he will work it out inside of us. But this is not some loosey-goosey, free-to-be thing that, yep, I prayed that prayer. No, Jesus fully intends on breaking everything off of you that doesn't belong to him and filling you with everything that does. So I don't care what's in your past. I don't care what kind of addiction. I don't care what's holding you. And Christians, children of God, those of us that belong to him and still have things in our life that don't belong, we had better be leaning on him and pursuing him to get rid of them and to look like him. And Jesus is still in the deliverance business. Come on. You got a problem telling the truth? Jesus still, still breaks the power of lying. Jesus still delivers from addiction. He can deliver from alcohol. He can deliver from cigarettes. Jesus is still delivering from homosexuality. Jesus can, he can deliver you from adultery. He can deliver you from lust. Whatever you have going on, he can deliver you. And he wants to. He wants to break it. He wants to break it because it'll destroy you. God hates sin because he loves you. He hates sin because sin destroys us.
Sin hurts us. It always offers us stuff that it doesn't produce. Sin always charges us more than it told us it was going to charge us. It costs a lot more. Saturday morning costs more than Friday night promised. If you're here today and you want Jesus, would you step out from where you are? Would you come and stand? And we will pray together as you receive Jesus as Lord. This is, God, I'm tired of living for me. I want you. Thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast. We hope that these weekly sermons are an encouragement to your life. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook and Instagram at The River.